0: All right, welcome everyone. This is the Mind Bobby Connection, the podcast stop for psychology, puns, mindfulness, philosophy, and everything in between. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel, Mind Bobby Connection. I can be reached at mindbobbyconnection at gmail.com and always feel free to reach out and give feedback, praise, and criticism. I'm your host, Bobby, and together let's get into our bodies and out of our minds. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I'm very excited to say this is our first podcast release. This one's with a close friend since about fifth grade, Andrew Frost. He's a software engineer and pursuing a master's degree with a focus on machine learning. And we're discussing what learning actually is, how artificial intelligence learns, and what the implications of that might be for our future. So welcome, Andrew Frost, also known as Frosty.
1: My name is Andrew Frost. I uh, have a bachelor's in computer science and I'm finishing up my graduate degree in computer science and the focus of my degree has been in AI.
0: And you have a focus on machine learning,
1: right? Yeah, that's mainly so if you were to break AI into kind of three categories, you have biological simulation, which is kind of the historical version of AI. And then you have modern machine learning deep learning categories like that and anytime someone says ai nowadays they're typically referring to that and then there's like a third category that's an applied mathematics kind of ai which i did a little bit i didn't do any of the biological stuff but the mathematics portion is more like game theory it's making ais for chess and for connect four or whatever things like that where it's it's not really learning more as just trying to traverse a lot of nodes and find optimal solutions
0: when you say that it's learning how does that look at from a computer science perspective
1: so there's a couple um, most of the things that i do are supervised learning where you start with a data set that you have already solved so maybe you have a data set that's pictures of cars and the color of the car is what you want to classify so you have a bunch of pictures of cars and you'll have categories of color like red blue green black white Let's say we have five categories. So at first, it's going to just randomly guess uh, what the color is, and it's going to probably get it wrong. If it gets it wrong, it figures out how far off it was, why it was wrong, and it will adjust the nodes inside the network, which we can talk about a little later. But it will kind of adjust the model that it's working off of. Then it'll go to the next data entry in your training set, and it'll do the same thing over and over again until in your entire training set, it has adjusted its model. Then you'll give it something new that you may not know the answer to, and you'll have it work off of that. And you can benchmark how accurate um, its predictions are with the training set. You can give it another training set and don't have it adjust the model and see what percentage it got right, so that you can say how confidently new data will come in. And that's machine learning. So it's learning from a trained marked data set so i already labeled the data set that's why you can benchmark it and then unsupervised machine learning um there's things like clustering and things like that where you don't have the classification initially and you kind of trust it to make the right decisions
0: where does that veer off where does that learning veer off from what is we from what the people programming it know and what's actually being input so when is when is there a point when you think of
1: a ai learning on its own or learning independently unsupervised machine learning is kind of that independent learning in a way things like if you didn't really know if you didn't yourself know you're like oh like i don't know how many categories this data set has and then you cluster it and it can make five clusters then the benchmark would be how close together those clusters are and it's basically just graphing the data in an interesting way with Um, and seeing how close they are on the graph and it can be many dimensions i feel like
0: when when you when you go into detail and try to explain these things it must be difficult to convey it to me or someone who's more of a lay person and kind of get the specifics down because i know that i like to think of it very abstractly and when i start thinking about how ai is learning the model that i have is very simplistic
1: So I think that the easiest... So unsupervised learning isn't something I really studied a lot of. I did very little of it. Supervised machine learning was what I mainly focused on. And more specifically, it was neural networks, which initially was that biological simulation where they wanted to see if computers could make decisions and behave like human beings. And then eventually neural networks evolved where that wasn't the main goal. It was more of trying to take abstract data and make decisions based on those. And classify huge amounts of data that humans couldn't go through because it's just too much, or it's too high dimensional. Lots and lots of data points, attributes per data point, where a human wouldn't want to look through all that. For neural networks, I think I could probably explain them better. I think that would give you an understanding of machine learning. So a neural network, the the most basic way to explain it is that a network in computer science is nodes and edges. So inside a node is a number. The edge represents what you will multiply that number by to get the next node. So your starting nodes are just going to be your data set. Your data set, like one entry in your data set, is going to be the nodes all the way to the left in the network. And then when I talk about the model that it's going to update to fit the data set when it's training, those edges, those numbers that we multiply to get the next node, that's the model. So when it goes and it says, I was wrong, I was wrong by this much, when it goes back to edit the model, it's it's modifying those edges. So what you do is you change the weight of each edge or how much... Essentially, the edge tells you how much that node is going to affect the next node. So it also helps you kind of trim down things that aren't super important to the eventual decision. And then it also helps you find attributes that are going to be a huge impact on the eventual classification inside each node is what they call an activation unit we don't want the numbers to get really really big because we keep multiplying them a node has many edges connected to it so there are many other nodes that go into a single node so that node could have a very high value Uh, once you do all those multiplications add all those values together so what we do is we use activation units those nodes are then normalized with those uh, different activation units so that the numbers don't explode at the end. And then at the very far right of the network are... um, So let's say in the car example, there were five classifications. You know, I gave five colors. So at the very far end of the network is going to be five nodes where the network's going to end. And each of those nodes will represent the class it's going to be in. So... When you finally get to the end of the network, maybe it's like 0.6, 0.2, 0.2, 0.0. So that would say, let's say the first category was red. It's 60% sure it's red. And then the one below it's green. It's 20% sure it's green. It's 20% sure it's blue. And it's 0%. It knows it's not white or black. And then depending on what the eventual classification of it was, if it did end up being red, It would reinforce that model and it would also adjust the weights like oh why did i think it might have been blue or green and it would change those weights is it generally improving incrementally like it's
0: 60 percent certain and then 65 and 70 or does it go 60 and then it drops and then it
1: reorganizes so that's an interesting question that actually goes into other things so there's this idea of overfitting where if you you'll sometimes train on a data set multiple times you won't You won't iterate over the training set once. You'll iterate over the same training set maybe 100 times. But you can overfit to your training data. So you can get really high predictive accuracy. You can make a network that predicts your training data really, really well because it's really fit for it. And then when it gets a new data point, it kind of overfit to the training data and it doesn't get it right. So there's this mixture of how to train your data and get it robust without overfitting to the training data. And in regards to how quickly it learns, it's exponential. So at first it's terrible and it makes these big leaps, which also, I guess, depends if you gave it a training set that was like all reds at first, it wouldn't, it would be really good at detecting red cards, but then anything else would throw it off. So you want a good mixture. You want to go like red, green, blue, red, green, you know, but assuming that you did that, you had a good variety in your training set and they weren't one after another, it would improve exponentially and then it would eventually level off and converge to some value. So it gets like you get diminishing returns as you start iterating over it more and more, but you also increase the risk of overfitting. But even after like 10 iterations, you can get decent performance and then a hundred iterations only gives you a little bit more.
0: Would it be correct to say that
1: trying to prevent it from overfitting is it allowing it to be more malleable? So malleability The way that we uh, quantify that is what we call the learning rate and the momentum. And there are two variables that tell you how much the next data point is going to affect your model. So if you have a really high learning rate and momentum, each data point will drastically change your model. And that can be dangerous because, you know, if, if you have a really, really high one and the last data point you got was like a red car, then you might overfit to reds and then you wouldn't be able to detect blue or green after that too low of a learning rate and momentum and the training data won't change your model enough to actually converge to a good value or good predictive accuracy
0: so you're always trying to mediate those two
1: yeah and there's a lot of um there's a fair amount of research that's gone into that and there's a lot of good data sets out there for you to benchmark your neural networks and People have gone and said, oh, well, these were my learning rate and momentum values, and I was able to get this predictive accuracy. And you can kind of benchmark and say, oh, okay, well, you know, I was way off. You can benchmark it against known data sets beforehand to say, okay, this this model does work. And then when you train it on a a new data set that people haven't worked with, you can kind of back it up by saying, well, it got very good predictive accuracy on this known data set.
0: How fast do you see AI expanding? I, I hear a lot of people talk about self-driving cars being in well within our lifetime and concerns even past that of artificial intelligence being indistinguishable from people. So how is it usually on the brink where there's a breakthrough and it, the community is kind of like where that come from? Or is it sometimes predictable? Or what do you, what do you see the progress looking like in the future?
1: So is a really big question yeah, that was like i, eight I gotta break questions. it down let's go back to neural networks neural networks are like a huge buzzword right now mm-hmm. everyone's everyone's talking about them all the the big deep le- like when people say deep learning these are neural networks uh probably convolutional neural networks that have many many layers of nodes which they call hidden layers but the idea of neural networks actually started in the 60s and it was a uh, more of a biological experiment to see if we can make decisions like humans by making a model that learns the same way humans do and it's evolved since and it's not a super accurate model anymore of how humans learn but it is very good for predictive accuracy and the things we want to get out of neural networks so neural networks actually kind of died out in the 90s uh research didn't continue in them they kind of hit a wall people started using svms uh sample vector machines and instead uh, finding their, them to be a lot faster and the big breakthrough for neural networks came with what they call GPGPU which is general purpose uh, graphics processing unit computing which is basically using your graphics card instead of your CPU to do all the math for a neural network and that's because uh, graphics cards became very very parallel you had thousands of cores on a graphics card versus 4, 8, or 16 on a CPU neural networks, uh, the reason that they took so well to this is because their oper- their mathematical operations are essentially um, matrix multiplication, and that can be parallelized, which means that you can do a lot of things at the same time. You can You can kind of compute each node independently from the other nodes at the same time. So it lent itself really well to this highly parallel architecture that GPUs had. So that's why there's a renewed interest in it. We can make these really complex, really deep neural networks and train them really fast because we can run them in parallel. So that's that's why a lot of AI has exploded recently is that we have the, the power to make these really advanced uh, neural networks and uh, they can run on pretty low power hardware and it doesn't take you know years to train the models. And we could even make this deployable in self-driving cars and stuff. They're putting computer graphics cards in cars so that they can do this not because they're going to game with them or anything. Self-driving cars, we actually kind of already have. I mean, Teslas do it. There's a lot of cars at this point that will self-park. They, once you get on the highway, you can do cruise control. They will um, apply the brakes if you get too close to the person in front of you and then re-engage cruise control. They will look with cameras at the road, and if you start drifting lanes, it'll correct you. So there are a lot of new cars. You can get on the highway... Put it on cruise control at 65, and it's not going to crash. Even if it's stop-and-go traffic, the worst it's going to do is it's basically going to park itself. Um, But it'll keep you in the lane. You don't need to steer. I don't recommend it. I think that one of the big dangers with self-driving cars is that with cars, people aren't as responsible, I think, as a lot of other heavy machinery. If there's a failure in some sensor in a self-driving car, it could very easily crash and people a lot of people aren't gonna be really up to like they're not gonna right before they get in their car inspect it make sure all the sensors are clean things like that um so you have to make it pretty foolproof so i think that's probably the big struggle right now we have the technology that i believe they have self-driving cars that have better driving records than people at this point they make very few mistakes and the mistakes they make Well, the scary part is the mistakes they make tend to be catastrophic where like it'll think there isn't something in front of it and go 70 when there is versus a human might drive a little too fast and slide off the road. Humans make reasonable mistakes. Computers make unreasonable mistakes. But I think that self-driving cars not only will be in our lifetime next 10 years, they'll be huge. Mm. They'll be everywhere. And you won't need as exotic of AI to run them if the sensors are good and if the sensors are reliable I don't, one question is will these self-driving cars have steering wheels and gas pedals and or are they going to be completely like they park themselves and stop if they don't work because my idea is kind of that they would be self-driving and then if some sensor fails they would shut off the self-driving mode and then you would have to drive <laughs> it manually um, but eventually you'd probably phase out the steering wheel and the controls and everything and if the self-driving if one of the sensors failed and it couldn't self-drive, I guess it would be stuck. I don't know the way around that one.
0: Do you think it would be safer if we were at a point where every car had to be AI versus a mixture of manual and AI? Would that make a difference?
1: I think it probably would. I think that especially if you could connect them together. So if let's say a sensor does go bad in one car, if there's a couple cars around it, they could be connected to a network and say, oh, well, you're in this position, and it could kind of write itself. So if all cars were self-driving, uh, there wouldn't be erratic drivers. Uh, drivers would be more predictable, and they could also talk to each other. The cars could literally talk to each other, and they would be able to make decisions as to how to drive safely. And they could even use data from other cars, be like, oh, this car crashed by going too fast here. and The cars would be able to learn Uh, roads more quickly uh, traffic data be pretty awesome
0: yeah i think in terms of safety and allocating people more free time self-driving cars are going to be a no-brainer the only argument against them that i've heard is the um, job displacement i don't know the numbers but millions and millions of people around the world will lose their job as delivery drivers or taxi drivers and the social cost of that is going to be what's difficult to navigate, I think.
1: that's So there's a lot of arguments. AI actually kind of sparks that argument in a lot of fields. I mean, there's a lot of jobs that are um, at risk of getting lost to AIs. Um, They were talking about McDonald's having automated cooks and cashiers. So a lot of people are worried about AIs taking their jobs. I don't see it as that much of an issue. Maybe because I'm in computer science, so I'm building the AIs, so I'm not too worried, but people, uh, I mean, I would imagine that, like, modern dairy practices put butter churners out of business in the 17 or 16, whatever, hundreds, and people were like, oh, I've been churning butter for 40 years, I'm going (laughs) to, a machine's going to come in and take my job? I mean, I just think that keeping ourselves in the past so that we can have antiquated jobs that don't need to be there is a mistake, and they can... I mean, even if you've been delivery driving for 40 years, I mean, if we can have machines do it, then there's a better place for you in society. I'd think, too, that as AI and technology
0: improves, then our capacity to produce will improve as well. They we become more efficient. We'll have more wealth. And people will, the jobs that will open up will be jobs that are more intellectually and socially fulfilling. Because there'll be more
1: demand for people who for
0: people to do jobs that only humans can do. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think the quality of jobs that exist after AI takes a lot of the menial labor will be better. Mm. And I think that it will be also more high paying. You might have lower work hours. You know, you might only work 20, 30 hours a week. But I think it'll be better paying because if someone actually needs human help for something and can't use an AI, that's kind of going to become more of a specialty might command more money so at the i guess very far end of the
0: ai development i've heard people talk about it's conceivable that ai could get to a point where they can learn and replicate so fast that they essentially become godlike in any corporation or individual or group that created the first ai to hit a point where it's exponentially learning and it can essentially create whatever it needs to at a speed that's unprecedented, then that's going to be like a pivotal shift. Um, how realistic do you think that is?
1: That's an interesting can of worms. I think that AI, AI will be a huge uh, turning point for humanity. I think that the civilization that develops AI that can uh, make difficult decisions, make them quickly, make them all across the country improve infrastructure almost like an ai president but even more low level and like controlling municipalities and things like that but not necessarily governing them but more making things more efficient you know looking at budgets looking at economics and looking at you know how to change things i think that will be big i think that the idea that ai replicating is an interesting concept i don't see a lot of research going into that ai is making AIs, and then that AI makes an AI. We have AIs where things like genetic algorithms, which is a a form of AI, will program a neural network. But in the end, you're using the neural network as your model. And the the genetic algorithm just helped you kind of shortcut to get to a better neural network. But I don't see a lot of self-replicating AIs, where an AI will then make a second AI, and then deploy that, and then that AI will make a second AI. So, and I think another important thing to think about is a lot of people picture AI being like humanoid robots that are really smart, and a lot of the AI that we're developing isn't connected to servos at all, or motors, or actuators. You know, so there's no mechanical movement from this AI. All it does is uh, make decisions, and then it's on the human to do something with those decisions you know data scientists get the results from the ai and then make decisions based on those results so i don't see a big threat to ai human overthrow in that regard but that comes down to responsibility i mean you could make a violent ai and then give it chainsaws for hands and that would be pretty bad but i think most of the people smart enough to make an ai are smart enough not to do that I hadn't
0: thought about that component where there's not really any reason to make them have the capacity to be mobile unless it's for entertainment. Like if it's if it's a dancing robot or a sex robot or something to that effect.
1: AI sex robot? You just imagine like using your data science degree <laughs> telling your parents, yeah, I make a, a really good sex robot. I mean, it learns your patterns and oh, wow.
0: I mean, that's already, they already have, I don't know what company it is, but that's already a thing. I know sex have, robots are. Yeah. They have AI built into them. Oh, I don't. Mm, I don't know. It just I seems over engineered. I think they might be able to respond in basic speech, but I don't know that for okay. sure. Okay, but that's definitely coming. If it's not there, yeah. What are your thoughts on using information processing to become conscious? Do you think that there's a biological component that we can't replicate, or do you think we could add data to make a sentient robot?
1: that's an interesting idea you don't even need to go to ai to kind of discuss that you can you could make a very basic computer program that would tell you it's alive and i suppose yeah it would kind of be ai it'd be primitive ai but you know you can make like a chatbot where it would refuse to accept that it is not alive you could even make a chatbot advanced enough that If you were talking with it, you might not know it's a chatbot at all. There's a lot of those robocalls where it sounds like a human. They respond moderately appropriately. (laughs) Moderately. (laughs) Keyword. So the Turing test in, I think it was like 57 or something, where he investigated this, where he had these computer terminals where you would type and you would be at first talking to a human operator. And then at some point it would switch to a chatbot. And if the human could identify when that switch was, then the AI was ineffective. But if they couldn't, then the idea was that it didn't matter if you were talking to a human or the AI. The AI was so good you didn't notice. And then if it passed that test, is it sentient? Is it, does it, like, if it doesn't matter that, you know, you were talking to an AI and it wasn't human, is it basically human? Does it have a consciousness? I don't know how I feel about that. I think that it's very difficult to pin down if machines can have consciousness if we can't even really comprehend what human consciousness is and that's just a whole nother issue yeah
0: i mean i completely agree and i i don't think there is a way to know right now is there something that it's like to be a cell phone or a chair i would say probably not i would put i would bet that no there's i don't think there's any reason to believe that as of right now ai has an experience but at what point does it that's yeah that's out of the purview of what we know
1: there was this argument to the turing test supporting that humans have or that machines have consciousness and that was the the heads in the sand argument machines if they if they had consciousness they there was evidence to support that humans wouldn't really accept it because it would be such a grim reality that we have these mechanical slaves that have consciousness. So, regardless of if they did, humans would probably reject it.
0: That's interesting. I mean, we don't seem to care about animals very much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, except for the ones we have as pets. Yeah, if they're cute, then they have consciousness, but if we eat them, they don't. I mean, a lot of people think that, don't think that dogs have consciousness. I don't know, like a huge percentage, but they, I've spoken to people that feel that way. That would probably be a very hard discussion about what they mean
0: exactly by consciousness
1: or or i guess souls maybe maybe yeah maybe the discussion is more about souls but they're very similar ideas but i if, don't i
0: don't like the idea that only humans have personal souls
1: does intelligence dictate how conscious you are does a vegetable have less of a soul than einstein if we determine that machines did have consciousness would we start, like, flipping a coin for the bomb robot or a human to disarm things? <laughs> or would the bomb robot build another bomb robot that it determined didn't have a soul? Like, how it... drone strikes would become a human rights issue? Well, I mean... They're, <laughs> they're not quite... <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> we
0: don't ever.
1: Thanks, Obama. For the drones, <laughs> I mean, not for the... What are the, the psychological
0: implications for the uh, AI that send the drones?
1: In the 40s, they had these um, missiles that would be able to target enemy ships and steer towards them. And the way they did it, uh, I don't think they actually ended up, they developed the technology, but they never actually deployed it. But they had pigeons inside with windows, and they would peck at the windows. Yeah,
0: Skinner worked with those. The BF Skinner pigeons.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's an interesting question. I mean, they clearly didn't care about risking the life of a pigeon there, but... I feel like at this point, we feel maybe more strongly about pigeons. Maybe robots and computers will get there. They'll get the respect they deserve. I don't know. Have you heard of the... We've talked about the paperclip um, problem, right? Where if
0: you program an AI to make paperclips as efficiently as possible, it'll take all matter in the
1: universe and
0: make it into paperclips.
1: I think the shape of the paperclip would change too. You have like just. I think it would make a paperclip that just barely had enough metal to hold two pieces of paper together and not more. And that it would make as many paperclips like that as possible. Uh, should we be scared of paperclip AI monsters? I think that that fear is as equally rational as chainsaw, nuclear, android overthrow AIs. I think that the. That is as ludicrous as paperclip AI.
0: It's nice having some optimism on the topic.
1: Yeah, I I, I think AI is a good thing. I mean, I guess I wouldn't have studied it so much if I thought that there was some extreme moral issue with it. And I think that studying it kind of actually, it just seemed more promising. It seemed like it can benefit humanity so much more. I think that it probably will have negative consequences, but it will mainly be in countries developing missiles and stuff that can reach further and can target smaller targets and maybe get more trigger happy with these missiles, things like that. Like more like specifically designed war machines could be built like that and they could cause harm without having to risk human lives. But I don't think that there's some negligence where we're going to make an AI that flips pizzas and then all of a sudden it's just going to start flipping babies
0: I think that's a good note to end on. (laughs) So thanks. No problem. Anytime. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. I think that was a lot of fun. That was my buddy, Andrew Frost. I encourage you to leave feedback in the comments or send an email to mindbobbyconnection at gmail.com. Keep in touch and have a great rest of your day.